Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip talks about the explosive growth of stablecoins, opportunities in autonomous driving, Latin America countries embracing Bitcoin, the fake news media machine, and how Philip thinks about keeping or selling company stock. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future Future performance. And now, here's Philip. June 8th, 2021. New episode. Hope y'all's week is starting well. I think this should be the last day of rain, hopefully, and we can get to this nice weather, this nice summer weather. Uh, let's let's get into it. So, first topic we're going to talk about is stable coins. So I was reading a a good article uh, from from Kathy Wood, and it was talking about the stablecoin market. Uh, and, and for those of you who who don't know who Kathy Wood is, uh, Kathy Wood is the chief investment officer at uh, Ark Invest. It's a um, uh, very successful, uh, actively managed ETF company. You could think of Kathy uh, similar to um, a hybrid between um, mutual fund managers and VC investors. Typically, mutual fund managers are investing in old, stodgy, you know, boring businesses. Think of value investors like, you know, Warren Buffett. And typically, then you have VCs, which are invested in new technology. And so, Kathy specializes in investing in the publicly traded companies that are new technology that are disrupting trends in different areas, you know, very, very similar to the perspective um, that I have. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, because I was thinking about future trends and all that, I ended up having similar, similar, you know, stocks in the portfolio as Kathy Woods and a friend of mine told me about her. And so, um, so I started reading up on, I was like, Oh man, she's like my, you know, my sister from another mother. And so, uh, so, you know, uh, we, we also in Stonehill strategies use her ETFs, um, uh, you know, because she has a great team and I, I like what they're doing and they're relatively low cost, um, actively managed ETFs with, with, a, with an amazing team behind her. So anyway, that's who she is. I think you should definitely, uh, if, you, if you're interested in investment research in the future, like subscribe to her um, uh, newsletter at ARC. I think it's arcinvest.com. If you, if you just Google ARC Invest um, or ARC Funds, it'll, it'll pull up. But anyway, the, the global stable, reading the article, the global stable market uh, increased 10 times in the last 12 months. It's about a $100 billion market cap. And what stable coins are, they're basically crypto assets that track the price of fiat uh, currency. So like you got uh, USDC, a stable coin um, created by Coinbase and another company as a partnership. You got Tether. But basically, if you look them up, they're they're gonna they're kind of like money market accounts, but they're always gonna equal a dollar, or that's that's the goal. Not always, right? But the goal of them is to, is to track um, like the dollar or the euro. So they they work to maintain that. Um, in our example, dollar parity because we we operate in dollars, and 
the 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 beauty of it is it, it it really allows people to operate financially outside of the banking system because in the current system you need banks to get dollars um, in the crypto world uh, you don't and so you can um, and you have centralized exchanges that you can buy it on but you also have decentralized exchanges to to buy um, these um, stable coins on so you you don't need the financial system like at all and um that's that's huge in current trend with we're talking about you know uh, uh decentralized finance uh, digital wallets versus banks and um the, the 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 main reason why i brought this up was the other the other benefit to stable coins is you you have you're always going to have different types of investors you have investors that don't mind volatility. And so, you know, in the traditional world, those are investors that heavily invested in stocks and companies. And then you had investors that, um, that didn't want as much volatility. And so they like bonds, CDs, cash, those types of things. The, the problem is uh, with the manipulation of interest rates by the central bank, which, which brought rates to zero, if you're a fixed income investor, you're not getting much um, you're not getting much return, if any, on your money. Um, you have you have investors who are moving their money over to stable coins, so it's just converting those dollars over to the uh, digital asset world, and you can still have, you know, digital cash, um, but the interest rates and the yields you earn on that digital cash is significantly higher, right? And instead of giving you the numbers, because I don't know when you're going to listen to this podcast, just Google um, stable coin interest rates. And look at the different interest rates being paid by stable coins versus uh, what banks are paying. Again, you know, stable everything has a risk, right? I, you know, I, I want to point the risks out in stable coin because there's always um, there's always a risk in any type of investment asset class. Uh, here's the difference, though. There's also a risk in in the dollar based system, right? So the, the risk in stable coins, and you got to. I think I want to. What I really want to do is help people understand. There's risks in everything. There's nothing. There's no such thing as a safe asset. It's evaluating the risks and putting your money in places accordingly. So, you know, uh, the the risk of the traditional money in the bank is the central bank can print more money of it. Can print more money anytime they want, which which you know makes the value of it. Um, go down, um, you know, the bank could go under and we have FDIC insurance, but we don't have nearly enough FDIC insurance to cover, <laughs> to cover, you know, um, the largest banks, you know, going down. So, you know, it's, it's really backed by the ability for the government to print more money, uh, which makes the value of the currency goes down, which is kind of a circular reasoning. So it, it you know, anyway, I, I won't get into that, but the point is, there's a lot of risk because if, if we do need the FDIC insurance, we're screwed and they're going to print crazy amounts of money. Um, but, you know, but that is that that is a risk. Right. And and what a bank does is if a bank is a fractional reserve lending facility. So it means if you have a dollar in the bank, you know, they could lend out five dollars, you know, um, of, of your money to companies. Um, many times it's ten ten dollars, you know. Uh, per dollar in the bank. Um, and so if, if a bank loses, if, if they loan out 10 to one ratio uh, and they lose 10%, they lose all the money in the bank. That was a big problem of, of, of the bank, the, the, the insolvency uh, happening in 
2008 and really, really 1929, 2008 was, was that, but it was more derivatives market, which is a whole other conversation com- combined with that. But the point is um, it's, it's, it's a risky market versus stable coins. It's risky, right? So the, you know, the counterparty can, um, can screw up the people who issues the stable coins can, can, can screw up. Uh, the difference is those uh, stable coins are way or backed way more than um, the, the the dollars in the bank, like significantly more. Each stable coin is different, but look it up. Look at you know um, how much you know how much collateral was tethered back by um, you know at US, USDC, um, and and you'll and you'll find that they're a lot more backed than the dollar. So they don't they don't they don't need you know. Um, um, the FDIC insurance, in, in, in my opinion, but both come with risk. You want to understand both risks and decide, um, you know, is is the ability to earn potentially more interest worth putting my money in this new asset category, um, um, you know, or, or keep it over here earning no interest, right? And you and, and you make the decision. But um, I'm just introducing information for those who are who are doing it because a lot of <clears throat> a lot of young folks that just prefer to um, a, a lot of young tech savvy folks that prefer to have cash in the digital world versus in the real world because of the ability to earn interest and outpace the money printer, even on the or potentially outpace the money printer, even on the um, uh, relatively safe assets. Next topic we're going to discuss is autonomous opportunities and autonomous driving. So yeah. I, I talk about a lot the fact that I much rather have machines driving the car than humans because we don't even look at the roads. But from a financial standpoint, you know, and I, I, and I, ref, I referenced before the fact that uh, we own Tesla and the macro opportunity strategy, and a big reason is you know, we believe they're going to win the autonomous driving uh, space and take market share not only from car companies but from Uber, Lyft, because people are going to have to license their technology to create autonomous cars, right? They, they are leading. And so I, I got curious and I was like, all right, let me look up, you know, what the average American drives per year. I went to the Department of Transportation Federal Highway Association and it shows you every state, but the, the average miles driven per year, somewhere between 6,000 to 12,000 miles per year in Texas is about 10,000. And, and this, this information is, like not including the new world that we're moving to where we're going to not have to drive to work uh, as much. I know for, for, you know, for me and my wife, I mean, we, you know, we can go, you know, we can go days, right. Without, without driving. Cause you know, we got a Peloton, we both work from home for the most part. And even when things open up, you know, she'll still work from home and I'll have meetings, but I'm, I, I might have out of the, you know, out of the off, out of, out of the home office meetings, um, maybe a couple of days per week. And I have an office um, that I have those meetings at, but I don't have to, like, I don't have to go to, they send my mail, right? It's, you know, in the, in the age of where offices are converting to uh, WeWork type models and everything, like it's, it's, um, it's, it's, an, it, and I was operating that way before COVID, but I guess it was because I was a young tech savvy, um, older millennial. But, but the point is I'm looking at, our patterns and patterns of others. And um, man, I, I would be shocked if over the next few years, we we even drive, you know, 10,000 miles, you know, as a population as a whole. Um, I see that number uh, going down. But let's assume 
that average person drives 10,000 miles a year. The, um, I looked at, uh, I, I also was reading the same article on, 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 um, or a different article on uh, ARK Invest page that gave details or their estimates of what Uber and Lyft charge per mile uh, for their services. And right now it's about two bucks a mile. So, so basically, um, assuming that, you know, today, if you, if you just use Uber for your transportation, you'll pay about 20000 a year. It still isn't bad for that service, but uh, ARK's estimation is that they believe if autonomous driving got to scale, Companies can charge about twenty-five cents per mile, which is about twenty-five hundred bucks a year, and they still like cover their cost and be profitable. So I was like, "Hmm, curious. Let's look it up." So there are about one hundred and twenty-eight million households, U.S. households, and about a third make over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And and I use that as a number for those are people who typically you know drive Uber, Lyft, and would probably use those services, and the average cost of owning a home or, or a car when you factor in uh, car payment, insurance, fuel, maintenance, is about 10 to 15% and sometimes more of income. And so I was like, hmm. So if, you know, so these companies, you know, they can charge 25 cents per mile, roughly based on our estimate and cover their cost and be profitable, but they can charge like a dollar or more too um, and, 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 and still be competitive relative to the cost of, having to um, drive and do all the maintenance on our own. Cause I tell you, I hate doing oil changes. I hate checking tires. I hate driving, right? I just hate driving. And so when you combine the fact that the world is going to be driving less because of our work habits changing and workout habits changing um, and the cost of autonomous driving and AI going down and the advances happening uh, in the autonomous driving space um, uh, and eventually getting to autonomous driving cars, you're like, man, like there's a huge opportunity in that market space, right? And I'm not saying like 20 years from now, I'm talking the reason why we own Tesla is we believe five-year time horizon. We think this is happening in the next five years. Um, so that's the opportunities that, that we see in autonomous driving. Next topic, Latin country leaders embracing Bitcoin. Um, if, if, if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, um, you see a lot of, you saw a lot of my stories over the last 24 hours um, from, from folks I follow on Twitter talking about all these Latin American politicians uh, embracing, embracing Bitcoin um, by, by putting laser eyes. Laser eyes means they own Bitcoin. They support Bitcoin. That's like the, the meme for, for folks to know who's a Bitcoin supporter. And so it, it started off by El Salvador uh, president announcing that they got a bill going through to make Bitcoin legal, legal tender, uh, which is basically means it's, it's a currency. And because it'll be a currency, it won't have capital gains um, tax when you buy and sell it. And, and El Salvador is a country, one of the few countries that uses the dollar as their reserve currency. But they didn't like the fact that the dollars printing a bunch of money and can manipulate it away. Only Americans don't care about this, right? Other other countries are looking out and they're going, "Hey, this is not great." Like just creating money, printing it out of thin air, making it devalue. They don't love that. And 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 the the, the South American countries have a history of U.S. meddling in their politics and messing up their financial situation. And so uh, I'm I'm not shocked that they are. Well, the whole world has has that sentiment. 
Um, but um, I digress. So, um, so that, 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 that was the announcement for El Salvador and everybody, you know, loved it. Then you start seeing other politicians from different Latin American countries um, put the laser eyes on. You had, you know, uh, politicians from Mexico, Brazil, Panama, Paraguay, Argentina. And the, the beauty of this is it, it's, it's the reason Bitcoin was, it was, when Bitcoin was created, it was developed with, with a very um, wise incentive-based structure. Like the whole design knew it would suck everybody into it because politicians know that, hey, if we embrace Bitcoin, it's better for our people. If it's better for our people, I'll be people will love us and keep us in power. What it also does is it removes the ability of politicians to control the currency um, to abuse the people. And so it's kind of circular. The people love it because it's freedom. They vote the politicians in who are all about freedom. Uh, the politicians are held at bay, but they get to maintain power, although diminished, right? But they get to maintain power. It's a check and balance on the system, uh, similar to when we separated church from state. Now we're looking to separate state from money, and 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 so you you have to under and so you have to wonder, you know, why does the state hate Bitcoin so much? Like why wouldn't you know why like why wouldn't the state embrace uh, embrace Bitcoin? If it's if it's if it's better for the people and the people want it, well, because they've they've used money as a way to abuse power for generations. Now, now, now here's the reality: I think if the U.S. embraced, because we're a country of freedom, like we're the most free country, even though we got our issues, like we ignited the freedom revolution of democracy, and so I think we should embrace it because it's going to happen regardless, right? Of course, the powers that be are going to stop it, but it's what I mentioned yesterday in the, in the podcast: just people who are vested in the current system don't like change, but it's coming regardless. And it could, and, and if we embrace it quickly and we embrace it um, and we, and we lead in that embracement, we, we won't have the, 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 the brain drain of if we don't, right? Cause by the way, if we don't, and we start getting hostile to it, you will see a lot of people, you know, move to the countries that are hostile to it. And by the way, like these Latin American countries are beautiful, better, you know, great beaches, great weather, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll have a brain drain and where the, and where the brains go, the money and economics follow. Um, um, and good luck trying to <laughs> recruit young people to um, help outsmart the brain drain folks that go to the Latin American country so that you can sabotage like it's not happening. You have, they have to literally like nuke, <laughs> you know, which is not funny, but they'll have to like, like try to just nuke the country to get rid of it, which they, which for a lot of reasons, they won't do, um, or we would hope they wouldn't do, because that would expose how how evil um, they really are. And I was reading an article like this is this is this is the craziness that goes on in the current system, right? Why a lot of us love separating money from state. It, it's glazed over, but the department. It, it, I mean, you can Google it. This is not this is not a conspiracy. Like the Department of Defense had a thirty-five trillion dollar accounting adjustment in twenty nineteen after a thirty trillion dollar accounting adjustment in 2018. So they mis, you know, miscounted $35 trillion or $30 trillion two years right in a row because there's no accountability on how, on how they spend. They can spend whatever they want. And it's a lot of folks behind the scenes getting rich off those government contracts. And these are the folks that are throwing out all the climate fund, FUD, these so-called quote unquote hacks where they, you know, hacker, you know, 
hackers took money from companies and then the uh, and, and then the, the 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 government quote unquote figured out how to find the passcode of the Bitcoin wallet, you know, which is which that was that's fud because they people tracked it. You can track what's going on on, on the Bitcoin protocol. They found a wallet of likely an exchange where the exchange turned over the money. They didn't hack a wallet, but they you know anyway. I feel like the people in power are like, you know how like if you're an adult and your kids are pretty tech savvy. And and they can they know more about you than tech, and so you try and lie about, you know, what you know about the tech, and they just looking at you like you don't even understand what's really happening, right? I think that I feel like that's what's happening with the world leaders. They don't even understand how this stuff works. So when they put out a lie, like that's a terrible lie. You clearly don't understand how technology works. But I digress again. Let's let's um talk about two last topics. Then we're going to leave last last one one seconds to last is just pet peeve. I don't like. I read I read a headline this morning when I woke up. It said Bitcoin fell because Trump is against it. I'm like, God, y'all are idiots. Um, this is this is super fake news to take uh, Trump's words. Um, like nobody nobody in crypto cares what Trump thinks. Like they just they'll just figure out an asset something it went up or went down and they'll just print a headline to get people to go read it. Their incentives is to have you click on the article so they can get advertisements, but. The, the the media is just either super duper dumb, right? Just dumb, like just dumb in general, which I think is probably part of that, right? But the other, I think the biggest part of it is incentives, right? They 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 need clicks to um, uh, to get control, and then the people who you know who are the powers that be, right? They're they're big advertisers and they control the media. Um, so. Anyway, the old that's that was just a pet peeve. Last one, so um, I, I had a I had a I had two questions that made me want to put this topic on here. So, you know, I have clients who have considerable amount of company stock on uh, their balance sheet, and then I had a buddy of mine also ask me, "When do I ever plan to sell Bitcoin?" And so these questions don't seem related, but they're very related, and it, it basically is how I think about my balance sheet. And so I have a uh, any I have like a core portfolio that I where I uh, and this is for me and even you know f- uh, how I think about it for clients. So let's 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 take a regular client's core portfolio. Let's say your core portfolio is a globally diversified portfolio, which is you know spread out among you know thousands of companies that are all around the world, right? So it's basically hey, I'm betting. That civilization will, civilization will continue to progress, and so then you say, okay, what is a globally diversified portfolio of stocks likely to earn over the next five years, right, or ten years? And so, you know, my assumption is somewhere in the range of, you know, seven to, you know, seven nine percent a year, All right? Let's 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 go with seven um, as as a number. And so so whenever I'm looking at a individual stock in that example, so client who has a company stock. You know, my question is, do you, th- what's the, what's the, if, if we do a, a well thought out analysis, does this company have the likelihood of earning 7% a year uh, return on, on your money? Right. And if no, it's automatic, right? Let's go ahead and sell and diversify it because this, this is a better return than, than, than that. And, and since it's diversified, it's, it's a safer bet. Now, if you th- if 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 the you know if the answer is yeah, I think it can earn more than seven percent. Then the question is, 
you know, what is the probability that you think it, it will earn more than 7%? Because if you're like, hey, it potentially can, but it also can't, well, how confident are you, right? And then and then you just have like confidence bands. So for example, you're like, hey, if I'm 99% confident, because um, I don't think anybody can ever be 100% confident and I'm rarely 99% confident, but if you're 99% confident, then you might say, hey, on any stocks that I feel is I'm 99% confident will beat the core portfolio, then maybe my max my maximum amount of money I can ever put into that one stock of my whole portfolio is 20%. I'm making up a number, but maybe it's 20% or 30%, you know, but if I'm 50, 50, then you're like, cool, right? Maybe, maybe I only do, you know, a 10% allocation max, you know, towards that individual stock, but you want to build, you want to decide, do I think it can beat the core portfolio return? And then you want to, uh, and then you want to say, um, how confident am I? And if you think about it that way, it's a systematic way to assess risk. And I think that a lot of investors, um, you know, crave mental models for how to think about uh, making risk versus making it from a gut feel. But that's what I do. I hope this helps you. Enjoy your day. Talk to you tomorrow. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.